When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, and TalkSport football correspondent Alex Crook as we build up to the community shield between Liverpool and Manchester City, the traditional curtain raiser to the football season, and we look ahead to the big game of the weekend. England against Germany in a European Championship final at Wembley. This is Game Day. got a huge opportunity to, to shape the future of the game in our country. It's so exciting, I, you know, I can't tell you how excited everybody is. It's me, testing the ball down, Kirby's played her in, she loses it over the top of the goalkeeper, off the top of the crossbar, has it gone in, it has yes! crossed the line, and England celebrate their first goal of the European Championship. I think you've got to build into these competitions and not everything's going to be perfect in the first game. I think it's really hard to predict what it looks like in the, at the end of the tournament. A thrilling, relentless, ruthless performance. England 8, Norway 0. We need to make sure that we keep building. Um, we keep putting in good performances and we know that we have to get better. Manages to get it into Russo. Lovely cry Church is one-on-one with the goalkeeper. That's a beauty! Bring it on, it's knockout now. Only heavyweights left. England don't want to be looking back at this tournament saying they should have been contenders. Let's get serious. The winning possession well. They're coming forward with Stanway. Space on the right, but Stanway shot! This is why I played football. This is why you play football for these types of moments, and they don't come along very often. Now it's the full-time whistle, and England have won the quarter-final of the European Championships. Every time you go into your determined to get to a final, I don't think you ever go into a tournament hoping you reach a semi-final. I'm so proud of the team, and and the fans were behind us. It was incredible to have them. The Euro 2022 semi-final, England, Sweden, in Sheffield. Come on, you lionesses. Fran Kirby scores England's fourth goal in the semi-final. England's fearless lionesses are going to Wembley to contest the European Championship final. Yes, it is the perfect final, isn't it? I don't think if we could have scripted a better way of finishing this wonderful Women's European Championship of 2022, we would have picked alternative 
opponents. England against Germany. One day and 56 years since England won the World Cup at Wembley against West Germany. Pretty perfect. Um, and it's going to be a, a super event as well. The most watched European Championship final of all time, male or female, the biggest capacity. I'm talking about 87,200 will be at Wembley on Sunday night. And tickets are like gold dust. And that we've been talking about it on our show that we've been doing this week, Rook, about tickets. Have you managed to get your hands on one? Haven't dried, actually, Sam. I left it a bit too late. Do you know what? It was only... Uh, in the aftermath of that semi-final when that young girl was dancing in the stands to Sweet Caroline. She's been on every uh, media outlet since then. That I thought, mm, maybe I should have tried to get tickets for the final. Yeah, and how much uh, do you think it would cost you now? £1,500. Right, here we go. Let's have a look. Let's have a look at one of the resale... Re- By the way, the resale websites are taking the mick, really. I mean, it is absolutely out of order. There are tickets that were on sale initially for 15 quid that are now going for 500 uh, The last time I looked, um, it was... Let me have a look here. It was about seventeen hundred ticket, uh, seventeen hundred pounds. The last time there were that was top price. Let's have a look now and see what what it is now. Because it is a bit of a rip off. The idea that people are making massive, massive profits on this, but it just shows the appetite for it. Yeah. So top price ticket now that you can get going for the final is oh nine hundred ninety nine pounds. It's almost gone down a little Bargain. bit. Not too many uh, available for that. So yeah, that's if you if, if you're desperate for a ticket and you really want to pay over the odds. Look, I mean, some people will want to do that. Some people won't. Is jam packed at Wembley. You can't get a hotel. Uh, we didn't book our hotels until two three weeks ago. I think for for the final here at Talk Sport. My um, my hotel is on the North Circular Road at Wembley, about 50 minutes walk away from the stadium because it's just absolutely jam-packed there, you know, and that costs loads of money. And it, it's, 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 you know, it's a basic hotel on the edge of, uh, of Wembley. So there is a huge appetite for it. There is a load of people going, but I wonder whether or not it's sort of spread into the wider consciousness yet. Is it going to be as big as last year's men's final? No, of course it's not because it's, you know, people haven't been exposed to uh, women's football in the same way they've been exposed to men's. And we've got huge amounts of memories with men's football, 1990, 86, 96, those big dra- drama moments. And actually when I was growing up in 1990, you didn't put your flag out either. So there will be. Was that right? Yeah, there was. There was. It wasn't the same level of. Uh, when did that start? Uh, then Euro '96, France '98. I actually think it was after Euro '96. I don't think it was as as. I think towards the end, maybe of that tournament, 1996. Yeah, you had a little bit more with that patriotism coming out, but it wasn't really until after that. And actually, if you look at some of the footage from 1996, I think there's a lot more Union Jacks, you know, as well. I mean, if you watch the World Cup final in 1996, in 1966, it's all Union Jacks. So um, the, the St. George's slag thing didn't start happening, I think, until late 90s, early 2000s. Interesting. Well, I, I know we've sent one of our uh, producers out to sort of uh, get people's opinion. Did they watch last year's final? Will they watch this year's? I think the fact they've sold 87,000 tickets probably tells you all you need to know. You've been telling me for weeks it will be the most watched television event in the world. And it just has that, of the year, sorry. And it just has that ring to it, doesn't it? As you say, England against Germany. I think if we go right back to when we started these uh, women's preview podcasts at the start of the tournament, I did predict an England-Germany final. Did you? I did. Because <laughs> you were so knowledgeable at the beginning of the tournament. Actually, you did quite well because you went with Northern Ireland for a while, didn't you? And that was a really difficult gig because the Northern Ireland girls are part-time. They don't 
they weren't expected to even score a goal, let alone manage to to win a game. And you were actually there the day they did score a goal. Um, that's right and that was uh, historic you know, moment you, you embedded yourself with them that, it was, that was a good story in the end wasn't it it was and uh, they made me very welcome you know I was sceptical in the group stage I, I didn't enjoy the 8-0 demolition of Norway I, I said we wanted to see our athletes suffer and I think they did suffer in that game against Spain and for me that was a turning point I really enjoyed both semi-finals and I'm looking forward to the final yeah well the final's going to be a great final um, uh, England against um, Germany um, Beth Mead against Alexandra Pop for the golden boot Pop was brilliant in the semi-final I went to on Wednesday night at Milton Keynes two great goals one brilliant free kick which was saved by the French goalkeeper she's an absolute dynamite striker she's got power she's got pace she's got energy she reads the game well she's watching all the time she's lurking you don't see her and all of a sudden she pops up with a goal and she certainly did on uh, Wednesday night the goal that she scored to win the game was quite brutal really I thought because not only did she rise up between two French defenders there was young Jewel Brandt, who's only 19 and came into the team for the first time, who plays for Germany, Pop's team, and she took her out as well. She just basically was like a 10-pin bowling uh, ball who went through all the skittles. She just thundered herself past them to get on the end of that header and plant it beyond the goalkeeper. So England are going to have to be very cautious about how they deal with her. And Leah Williamson, who hasn't had to make a tackle in the entire tournament so far, she's managed to win the ball I think 42 times without making a tackle. And that's something that, you know, Paolo Maldini will, will tell you if you have to make a tackle, you've already made a mistake. You know, that's a brilliant level of high quality defending from Leah Williamson. But she's got to make sure that she stays concentrated. And so has Millie Bright. Millie Bright's the more physical of the two. And I think she will have to look after, be detailed to look after Pop, who likes to come in off that side anyway. So that is going to be something that England have to concentrate on. Also, the the fact that Germany is so resolute defensively, you know, they're so um, they're so well organised. They snap back into shape brilliantly, like really quick and fast. You know, they lose the ball. England will counter. They'll get back. They'll. You'll notice that Rauch is really speedy in the in the fullback position, the left fullback position, the right fullback position, and then um, you'll have the two central defenders who were, who worked incredibly hard against uh, France, but also just incredibly stubborn. Hegering and Hendrick. Um, so it's going to be hard for England to break them down. I don't think it's going to be a, a goal fest, that's no. for sure. No, I think it'll be tight. Um, again, I think we will see the girls suffer. Uh, we'll probably go to extra time. Could even be decided by penalties. Again, England, Germany on penalties. Uh, strikes fear, I think, into all of us. But you're right, the key area for me is that battle, the two centre-backs against the German attack. I think that's where the game will be won and lost. Yeah, England beat Germany 3-1 in February. The Arnold Clark Cup, late goals from Millie Bright and uh, Fran Kirby are getting uh, the victory at Molyneux. Uh, but that was a tough game as well. Um, and it was one of the few occasions when England had beaten Germany over the years. You, you go back, there was a huge game at Wembley in November 2019, there were 78,000 at Wembley to watch the game in which England lost in the 90th minute to Clara Ball's goal. Um, Pop scored that night as well. Header, there's a surprise. Standard. Um, Germany beat them in March 2017. Germany beat them in March 2016. Leanne Sanderson will tell you that they got over the hump when they beat them just prior to that during her time, but it's a very rare occurrence, you know, that England beat Germany. I think it would be the mid-2015 uh, World So with that in mind, do we make Germany favourites? 
Germany, Germany should be favourites. I mean, look at Germany's record. Since the end of the 80s, they've basically won every single European championship, every single one, every four years, from the end of the 80s to... 2017 and then they went to the quarterfinals so I think they've won eight of the last nine European championships or something like that or seven of the last eight European championships they're, they're absolutely a winning machine the best team that Europe has ever produced but ultimately they um, they haven't been able to uh, be as dominant over the last four or five years England have grown. The game in England has grown. Mm. And as a result of the fact that the game in England has grown, you've got a situation where there is a more belief, more confidence, a team that have tested themselves against Germany and almost got there over the course of the last few years. This is a repeat of the 2009 final. In 2009, and there's some survivors from that, Jill Scott played in that game, You know, they lost 6-2. They got absolutely blitzed off the park in the final of the 2009 tournament. That... Yeah, they were so far behind Germany at that time. But there's belief now amongst the group that they're so much closer. They are one of the best teams in the world. You speak to Peter Gerhardsen, the Swedish coach, he thinks it's unbelievable the way that the English game has, has, has come on so much. And especially this feeling around the tournament that has sort of come up over the last week or so has, has taken it to a new height. And it does have the feeling of Euro 96. It does have the feeling of 1990 when I think a lot of people fell in love with football during that time. Mm. You know, these are the major tournaments. I said this last year when I was doing the European Championships for ITV. You know, when you're a kid, you fall in love with football via England. That's what happens. You're watching a major tournament and you fall in love with the game because everybody is on your side. There's no division, there's no tribalism, there's no, there's no this player, that player, oh, your team's better than my team. It's we're all in it together. And that feeling of sort of togetherness and shoy, shared euphoria takes, takes on a different feeling inside and that's how you fall in love with a game. You then develop your love for the game through your clubs and it goes on from there. Sometimes you'll fall out of love with England. You're a prime example of that. You, you, you fell out with love with England throughout the entire 2000s. But the fact of the matter is is that this is the gateway to football for a lot of kids. And I think this has that feeling for me that there'll be a lot of kids, especially uh, female kids, who come through the, uh, the the football gate now and they're into the party. Do you know what's nice about this game as well? Because we, we mentioned it actually, for me, the 8 o'clock kickoff time have been a disappointment and I think it's been an error from the organisers. 5 o'clock, Sunday afternoon, school holidays, no need to worry about bedtime, all the kids can stay up and watch the game. Yeah. And the pubs, you know, 9.3 million people watched the semi-final without including anyone in a pub, without including anyone in a big square. There was 5,000 in, in uh, Trafalgar Square, without including streaming. So you're talking, in real terms, 13, 14 million people watched that game the other night. That's a lot of people. That's a national conversation. Yeah. We're talking probably about 60, I, rec- I think 17, 18, maybe 19 million for the weekend. That's a huge amount of people. Massive. That's a massive amount of people paying attention to uh, a, an event that doesn't happen very often. You know, <laughs> that would be the that, that's almost double the most watched event of the year so far, which shows you the appetite for football and events, event sport, unity sport. Um, okay, well, we look. It kicks off at five o'clock on Sunday, and we've got live commentary on Talk Sport. Um, and um, I thought, well, probably to get a tactical view and a view about how good the Germans were and how England should approach it, we should speak to the most capped England player 
male or female, of all time. That is Farrah Williams. She was in the squad the last time that England got to a European Championship final. And she joins us on the line now. Morning, Ledge. Good morning. Ah, listen, the most experienced. You're more lively than me. I am lively. I'm always lively. You know that. And um, I know that uh, you'll be lively at the weekend because I suppose you're resting up now, are you? Ahead of what could be a a, a fabulous uh, weekend for uh, England uh, and, and the Lionesses. You played in the, uh, you were in the squad the last time England got to the final of the European Championships in 2009. Just first of all, just talk to us about that experience and what that was like. Yeah, uh, it was a strange experience. It was a tournament that we probably wasn't expected to do well in. Um, we had a really good group. Uh, management and, and staff were, were unbelievable and probably pushed us to levels that we weren't or didn't believe in ourselves to get to. And managed to get to a final after extra time in a semi-final against the Netherlands. And yeah, the Germans at the time were much, much better than us. And it showed in one in the performance, but two in the result. And it was disappointing, but it certainly showed us what, that we had you know, potential to, to go on and do things and take probably the women's game to probably where it is now. Just give us a, an example of the contrast between the amount of interest that was surrounding that final in 2009 and what it feels like now in 2022. Yeah, I mean, it, it was crazy. We, uh, there was nothing in, in 2009, there was nothing. We, we got told after the game, you know, there'd be loads of media, you'd be flying back to England and there'd be media waiting for you at the airport and, you know, the nerves started to kick in. And um, I think there was one journalist there waiting for us on our return to get into a major final. So compared to, to, to now where, you know, I went to the, the draw for the Euros and, Walking down the red carpet, it was just like a surreal, a, a moment that, you know, stuck with me. Uh, never thought the women's game would be there. And then obviously being a part of the BBC media team this summer and seeing the fans and the media that are involved now, crazy, but, you know, well-deserved and where the game deserves to be. So, so the excitement with that is just, yeah, unbelievable. Does that make you envious at all that, that, that you, you didn't get to experience what the girls are experiencing now? No, no, no. I, I love my time as a as a player. I love my time with the Lionesses, and I always felt when I when I played, I owed it to the people that you know put the game in the position they did for, for me when I played. And you know, I know that I did my part in, in in getting the game to where it is now, and it's what the game deserves. And and these girls are now taking it to the next level, and you know, and it just gives opportunity now for for young girls coming through that you know there really is an opportunity to to make a career in the women's game. So it's exciting. I'm excited. I'm a big kid. You know, watching the girls, I'm like a big kid. I'm having sleepless nights. With excitement, I can't wait for it to be over. <laughs> I'm so tired, honestly. I can't sleep. The excitement. I'm up early every day, waiting for Sunday. So yeah. Um, I mean, it's a great feeling to have. I mean, you and I went to the 2019 World Cup together, and uh, we were up until four o'clock every night. But that was because we didn't have any air conditioning in our room, so we had to wait for it to cool down. Um, but in terms of uh, this game on Sunday, talk to me about taking it to a new level and winning the match. How do England beat this Germany team? It's going to be difficult. I think the Germans are very good. They're very well drilled, you know, a disciplined team and they just have a know-how. They've, they're eight-time European champions. So you, you, you don't do that, you know, without without being good and having good structure and, and the foundations that have been built, you know, in, in the German national team for many a years. So they're definitely going to be difficult to beat. You know, they've only conceded one goal in the tournament, you know, likewise we have. So it will be difficult. I just think our girls have just, you know, under Serena, I think they're a, they're a different group of players. They have a different confidence about them. I certainly think the energy that they're playing with helps with the energy that the crowd are giving. I think it's took that to a new level. Um, I think it's an intriguing game. It's going to be it's going to be difficult, but 
you know, where else? At Wembley final, I don't think these, you know, the girls probably have never dreamed of it. For, for us, I think, you know, when I think about it, I think the older generation of players and fans are, are more excited than this young crop. They probably don't realise, you know, how big a game this is and, and how hard it is to get to a European uh, final. In some ways, though, is that important that, that the England players don't get overawed by the occasion? They do treat it just like any other game because if, if, if stage fright sets in, if they get nervous, if they start slowly, as they've had a habit to do in this tournament, Germany could really capitalise on that. Yeah, definitely. I think they've got. I think they've got a nice balance within the squad. I think some of these young ones, as I said, I, I don't even think they they realise how big of an occasion it is and how big a game it is, and you know how hard many of us have tried to to get to a final before. They, 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 you know, the, the way that they're going on, it's like it's easy to do and they could do it again. So I think that's a, a nice balance. I love the experienced players around them, telling them, you know, keeping them calm and obviously telling them how, you know, about the occasion. But you're right, you know, England have to start fast. We can't have slow starts and, and certainly not slow first halves because the Germans are so efficient in their play and they will punish us and it'll be very difficult to come back for them. I don't, you know, they get, OK, the Spain game, we was able to come back from going a goal down and showed a bit of character there. But, I think this team really plays on confidence, so we don't really want to go behind or be underperforming against a German team that, that won't give you much. How do you defend Alexandra Pop? I don't know. I thought Wendy Bernard would be able to do that, but she uh, she, she struggled. She's a fantastic player. I'm, I'm on, you know, she's done it for many years and it, she's missed out on, you know, every European Championship for injury. So she came into the tournament having not started the game and come on as a sub and scored and now has, you know, stayed in every game, broke a record by scoring in every game she's played in. She's difficult. She's just a winner. She's a natural winner. Um, she's certainly dragging this team team through. But th- there's other players in that team. The Oberdorf, the midfielder. She's mm. 20 years of age. She is a key player. She's for me probably the player of the tournament so far. I think what she brings to this German team. You know, you know, German. They're, they're a counter-attacking team, but they also know how to sit in. And she's certainly key in allowing them to attack and play in which is the way they do. In terms of England, who's the star player? Who who's going to light up Wembley? For England, I mean, Beth Mead obviously has scored six yeah. goals. She's been fantastic. Lucy Bronze has had her moments defensively, but she's been so effective going forward. Who is the standout player for you? Do you know what? It's, it's, it's been really bright for me, I think. And, and it's crazy to say a, a centre-half, but I, I think without her performances in moments where we spoke about England being shaky, I think without her at the back in those moments, games could have been completely different. She's been unbelievable and you know took her own game to a new level and... She's key key to uh, to this team, but in attack, I think look Frank Herbie. She's she's the one, and I think we saw that against Sweden in the semi final. When we can get her on the ball, she can really hurt opposition. It's just you know in games before we haven't found her early enough in, in between the lines, and she's probably gone missing a little bit in games because of that. But if we can get her involved, and if Millie can continue the way she has, we've got a great chance. Farrah, whatever happens on Sunday, how important is it for the Lionesses moving forward that they keep hold of Serena Wiegmann because she's been so key uh, to this run to the final? Oh, it's a must. It's a must. They have to give her a new contract. I think she, she certainly is, uh, I believe, the, the, the reason that the, the squad is in the position it's in. I think her experiences of, of the game and you know, and, and, and as, man, as a manager with, with, with the Netherlands, I think it's really helped the girls. You know, it's something that we've not had before. She certainly took the girls to a new level, or certainly their belief levels uh, to a new level. So it's key, and it's key for, for, for especially because I work with the under twenty three England team, and I know how uh, important that group of players her and how much influence she has on that. And she's always tapping into Mo Marley and asking us, you know, what's coming through, and and really wanting to get the same identity with it with the younger age groups as our senior team. So she's certainly wanting to do it right from the bottom all the way through, and I think that's important. 
Um, and just quickly, a word on the heir apparent to Farrell Williams, Kira Walsh, who sits in front of that back four and distributes the ball brilliantly. How impressed have you been with her performances? Oh, very good. Very good. We've all, we've been waiting for this for a long time from from Kira. I think this is her tournament. I think in 2019, probably a tournament tournament too early for her, but she's certainly been key in, in, in setting up our attacks. And just, as you mentioned there, just sitting in front of that back four. I think if you look at the stats, I, you know, I'm not a stato, but I, I've seen the stats and her pass completion and forward passes. She's ranked number one in the tournament for that. So that just shows it, it backs up what everybody on the eye is seeing. I think the stats back up what, what everybody's seeing with her. Okay. Um, how are you going to celebrate if England win? <laughs> A few Prosecco's. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know what? I can't even, I don't even know. Yeah. Uh, there's an after party anyway somewhere. I'm hoping it's a, it's a with victory. I'll probably have a few before, to be honest with you. I, can't, I shouldn't really be saying that if I'm going to be on air, but um, <laughs> the nerves, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> Barra, thank you very much. Thank you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. The 100th Community Shield gets underway on Saturday evening. It's live on Talk Sport. Joe Shannon will be commentating for Talk Sport this Saturday evening as we bring you the traditional curtain raiser to the new football season. Of course, the football season would have already started by then because the EFL started Friday night. And there's loads of games on Saturday prior to the kickoff between Liverpool and Manchester City. Um, are you ready for the Community Shield and the return of top flight football? In fact, the big question, Darren Lewis, is. Are Manchester City and Liverpool ready for it? Because from what I understand, Jurgen Klopp's so unsure about being ready for this game that he has scheduled extra friendlies and Man City have played two games in pre-season. Yeah. Well, first of all, I love the fact that you've used that cliche line that we all use, curtain raiser. Um, that should be on the list of yeah. uh, banned well, phrases that we always use. Is it banned but... phrases? Are you banning me? Should I, should I take it out of my script for Saturday Night Live on ITV? You know, every, every, every time you say it, I'll get loose to you uh, doing the tech to 
maybe give play play a little sting or something. You keep asking um, her to do these things, and one, she never does it; she just ignores you and cuts you out. And two, <laughs> it makes a lot of work for her, and that's why she doesn't do it. <laughs> that's a fair point. Well made. <laughs> Let's move swiftly on. Um, I mean, look. In answer to your question. I think this is going to be a title race and a top four race of such fine margins that the top teams don't want to wait six, seven, eight games to get their full, for their players to get their full fitness. They want to be in the zone as quickly as possible. And that is the reason I think Jurgen Klopp, that's the reference you were making, about him scheduling a fixture once the season has already started. I think that's the reason why he's doing it. Yeah, he's also scheduled a, a friendly crook for the next day. Uh, so the Community Shield is on Saturday, and on Sunday, Liverpool will play Strasbourg. Seems uh, strange timing. Chelsea uh, are doing the same thing. They're playing Udinese on Friday night, and then they're playing another team on Saturday to get to ensure that the whole squad gets at least one run out of 90 minutes over this weekend. Do you know what this comes back to? It comes to the ridiculous scheduling, and we talked about scheduling uh, already and, and kickoff times. The Nations League, nobody wanted it. The players didn't want to be there. The, the Premier League managers didn't want it because it's just truncated an already truncated pre-season because we've got this unique situation uh, with the World Cup in November. And I think what you're going to see is, and I think this weekend will be a prime example, a lot of teams going into the season undercooked. Yeah, Manchester City uh, certainly have only played a handful of minutes. I mean, a lot of their players have, have hardly played 60, 70 minutes in pre-season. I was going through the figures yesterday. But um, the the difference this year between these two teams is, is that for a lot of the last couple of years, both of them have played almost with what you would call, Darren, false nine. So for me, no dropping a little bit deep. Um, at times, Mane last season was doing that role for Liverpool. Obviously, Manchester City have played without a striker since uh, Sergio Aguero left the club. But both of them have retooled, rearmed, and it is a battle of the two number nines. Darwin Nunez, who came off the bench against Leipzig and scored four goals in a pre-season friendly after initially getting into a little bit of a tangle with some supporters because he missed a big chance in a previous game against Manchester United. And then you've got Erling Haaland, who is going to start his career at Manchester City and is already off the mark after the very brief appearance he had in the friendly against Bayern Munich. It's a different approach. It's a different, a very different approach. And just to answer that, to go back to the start of what you were saying, if you look at the top 10 goal scorers in the Premier League of the last season, last few seasons, they've been mostly over the last, what, five years. Wide players, uh, wingers uh, are converted into front men uh, rather than out-and-out goal scorers. So this is going to be a fascinating season. It's almost a return of the number nine. Nunes, Haaland, Kane, um, which is quite ironic, really, because Chelsea had one last season. They got rid of him because they were far more fluid without him. And I have to be honest, I was saying this on kickoff on Thursday night. I don't know where their goals are going to come from. You could say Sterling knows where the goal is, but he was playing in a far more accomplished Manchester City side that enabled him to be able to get those goals. I'm not quite so sure Chelsea have that fluidity. Um, so, yeah, there's a bit of an arms race going on at the moment and you can see where the goals are going to come from at, in Liverpool, uh, at uh, City, at Spurs, even at Arsenal. Jesus looks terrific already in pre-season. Manchester United, Martial scoring goals now. Rashford and Sancho are more confident of being about their work under Eric Ten Hag. Just a little bit concerned about Chelsea. 
I'm interested, Darren, to see how Mohamed Salah starts the season, how he fares in this Community Shield, because Sam and I, uh, over dinner on Thursday night, were discussing our fantasy league teams. He's not going to pick Mo Salah, because I quote, he didn't end last season well. I think he might struggle this season. No, that's not what I said. I said, I am not going to pick him in my fantasy team because he ended last season badly. And sometimes that means that you start the season shoddily. But also because everybody picks Mo Salah and I'm looking for an alternative. So I've gone Darwin Nunez. You said he was rubbish. I didn't say he was rubbish. He's talking shit. And also, let's just be completely honest about it, right? He started to make this out like we had a romantic dinner somewhere. We went to a pub and had a burger. Uh, well, uh, that one... Uh... <laughs> Darren could have been there buying it for us, couldn't he? Dar- Darren should have been there buying it for us. We still fair, waited. I, I, felt, I felt a bit left out by not anymore. You put me at ease almost straight away. Well, we should have burger. invited you because you still owe us dinner, don't you? Well, you won't ever collect. So, you know, I, I feel like Fred Dunn. You know, I've got the money Who, here. Who's or... Fred Dunn? Is that a 1970s reference, Darren? Bet Fred owner, isn't he? Is he a bet Fred owner? Oh, owner? yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I got completely confused. <laughs> Come on. I don't know. Come on, Samuel. Wake up, wake up. It's early. Go on, yes. <laughs> but no, I, I, listen, I think as far as Salah's concerned, joint golden boot winner last season with Son Heung-min, 23 goals in the Premier League. And you know, the wonderful thing about Salah is everyone keeps writing him off season after season and he keeps delivering season after season. And I think what Liverpool have done in giving him that new deal, selling off Sadio Mane, they have said, you are our main man. Everything will continue to go through you. The other key thing is he lives his life right. Mm. It's not as if the adulation is going to go to his head. Doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. He's in fantastic physical condition. And I expect him to fill his boots once again. I think between the top six sides, there'll be games of fine margins because the quality has shot up. But I think the teams at the lower end of the Premier League, I think some of them will take some hammerings this season. Yeah. Um, what about Manchester City? They have tweaked their roster. Gone is Raheem Sterling from last season. Oleg Zinchenko have both moved on to Chelsea and Arsenal, respectively. Fernandinho has left the club too. Uh, Haaland has been joined. Not only, uh, it's not just Haaland who they've uh, picked up. They've picked up Julian Alvarez and, and uh, England's Calvin Phillips as well. What role for him? On the bench, I'd imagine. Um, I, I disagree with that. I think he'll start in midfield. This weekend or the season moving on, he might he might well start this weekend, but I don't see him as a first-team regular. This is a transfer that's left me a bit perplexed because I don't think Calvin Phillips is good enough uh, to play for a, a title-winning Manchester wow. City side. Wow. Just don't think he is. I think there's too many holes in his game. Maybe under the tutelage of, of Pep Guardiola, that will improve. But as a Manchester United fan, obviously they'll be linked with him. I, I'm not too despondent well, what are you doing? that he's in blue and not red. This, are you comparing this transfer to... Uh, the uh, arrival at uh, Chelsea of Danny Drinkwater is that is that the kind of I see it more as a Fabian Delph type signing oh, really? when he went to Manchester City. I, I, I mean, Darren, I don't know what you think about this, but I think Calvin Phillips has been absolutely superb for England, and I think the fact that he can play as a deep lying central midfield player and as a centre back, as he did actually in, in in one of the preseason games, I think it's a major asset for Manchester City. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Actually, I think Alex. This is one of those ones I, I'm worried might come back to bite you. Yes, I, so I really hope it does. Clip it up. Clip it up. <laughs> and I, don't, I, I don't say that lightly, but I just look at Calvin Phillips and I see a wonderful player full of energy, full of a determination to make the step up. Um, I think his fitness record will improve for being at a club with a superior 
medical department. No slight on his former club, of course, but you know the the, the attention to detail at City is second. Hold on, the least doctors just dropped on the, to the call. Want to speak to you? <laughs> I doubt it because if it, it, it probably you'd have to wait about four days to get an appointment. Go on. <laughs> I, I, I think he'll improve for playing with better players. I think he'll improve for playing under a better manager. And I think in the same way that all of us knew he was good, but not European Championship good in terms of the way he exploded onto the Euros last year, I think he will prove that with City and make that step up. He's already really shown that he's a, is a top-class player by playing in a team that got to the European Championship final, surely. Exactly. I mean, he's, he's has underscored his ability. He's an asset. He'll be an asset in a better team as well. You know, players who can receive his passes. He sees things very quickly. You don't notice much what Calvin Phillips does because what he does, he goes about his business tidily, efficiently and effectively. And I think in a Manchester City team with a top-level coach like Pep Guardiola who will be on him from the very start, he'll develop. What about Liverpool? Crook, because they've What is got... it you think he can't do, Crook? I just think he lacks that dynamism uh, that you need in a Pep Guardiola team. If you look at the players that he's competing against, the likes of Rodri, you know, there's more facets to Rodri's game going forward than there is with Calvin Phillips. That Maybe that will improve. I think, Sam, you know, when you talk about fitness, that was an issue last season as well. That would concern me. I just don't see him as a Champions League player. You say fitness was an issue last year. It was an issue in terms of he got um, injured last year. But his fitness levels were greater than everybody else's during that European Championship. In terms of the amount of running that he can do. He can get through a lot more work. Also, you say that he lacks dynamism. He was the one who got England in front against Croatia with the way that he dynamically ran past two midfielders in the Croatia team and set up Raheem Sterling. He broke that game open. So, you know, I think there's a lot more to him than Is maybe... Is he as good as Declan Rice? Well, I, I think I, you've I, made yourself a hostage to fortune with this one, Crook, because Sam's just outlined just some of the reasons why uh, he's a super player. City, of course, weren't the only club in for him. West Ham made a huge bid for him as well. You could oh, see him worked fitting it into out. the Manchester Darren, United team. I've worked it out. Well, I've worked it out. It's because he turned down Man United and he did that interview where he said, I would never go to Man United. That's what it's all about. Um, let's talk about Liverpool quickly because they haven't spent as much money as maybe some of their fans would like. You know, a lot of them uh, uh, sort of think they need to keep refreshing this squad, but Jurgen Klopp keeps buying just these major centrepieces and planting them into the team. You know, the Van Dijk, the Allison, then you get the Thiago, then you get... Um, the Darwin Nunez and actually they've built a squad over time and he's more than happy to use some of the younger players so when people were starting to worry that Liverpool's squad is a little bit weaker than it was maybe last year he will point to Fabio Carvalho and Harvey Elliott two players who he is going to definitely use this season as part of his attacking triumvirates in certain games it's going to be negative Go I, on. I don't see how Liverpool can close the gap on Manchester City looking at the two Bits of business the club have done. City obviously finished ahead of Liverpool last now season. Now Calvin Phillips is a great buy. They scored more. No, I'm not talking about Calvin Phillips. I'm talking about Erling Haaland. 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 City have that striker now. Almost guarantees goals. I know that you know people will say, well, the Bundesliga is not as good as the Premier League. He will score goals. I was hoping that he might struggle. I don't think that will happen. Liverpool have weakened themselves, in my opinion, by losing Sadio Mane, bringing in a different kind of player in Darwin Nunez. How, Darren, can Liverpool make up the gap when you look at just those two individual pieces of business? What, you mean the gap of one point? I think the gap will get wider. I, d I don't think it will. I don't think it will. So you I think, think Liverpool will win the league? Have done, what, what Liverpool have done 
is they brought Diaz in early so that he can get those six months under his belt. And I think he will score goals this season. I think as far as Nunes is concerned, he gives them... Well, he, they've added Nunes to Jota, who scored 15 goals last season, 20 goals for the first time in his Premier League career. You've still got Roberto Firmino, Klopp being saying he's not going anywhere, he's going to stay here with his industry, his ability to drop into midfield, his ability to score goals up front. And that's before you even get to Salah. So you've got potentially three players who could score you 15 to 20 goals this season. Plus you've got Salah who will score you 20 goals this season. Plus you have Diaz who will score 10 to 15 goals this season. I have no worries. I haven't even got two Harvey Elliott or Fabio Carvalho. I look at Liverpool and I say to myself, where would you buy... In what position would you buy that you would increase the quality of level? Thiago now has really found his stride. Fabinho is a fabulous force in midfield. At fullback, they're very strong still. At centre-half, Canati now really going to find his stride alongside Van Dijk. They have that depth. Where is the position that they would have bought that would have improved them more than they've improved already. Yeah, I think um, I think I think he's, he's struggling now. He's, he's on Google trying to find someone else <laughs> that they could have bought. And he, he, you're not found anyone, have you? No, but, so Darren's saying, Darren's saying the gap won't get bigger. Therefore, he thinks Liverpool will win the league. I think it's still look. It, whether the gap gets bigger or smaller or whatever, these two teams are the two elite teams and I don't think they've done anything to change that over the course of the summer. Liverpool have spent a huge amount of money on a striker who got an inordinate number of goals last season and if he scores even half that number in the Liverpool team with the other weapons they've got, then they will be up there But they lose so much without Mane. I think, I think people are underestimating how big a loss he will be. Yeah, but they, Obviously there's going to be a change. At some point they're not going to go on forever, that three that played over the course of the last few years. But Liverpool's recruitment has been better than anybody else's recruitment over the last five years. So identifying Diaz, bringing him in in January, allowing him to settle for six months and then getting underway as one of the, the first choice of those three in attack is, 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 is genius business again from them. He didn't replace anyone when he came in. He came in to add to the squad. So when Mane left at the end of the season, he's just taken his place. So instead of Mane, you've got Luis Diaz, you've got Jota, you've got Firmino, you've got Salah and you've got Darwin Nunez. I think they've got enough going forward. Do we think Firmino will stay? Because obviously there's been a lot of talk in Italy that Juventus are keen on he him. He said that. He said that in the last 24 hours that he's going to stay. Klopp said that. You know, there's yeah, not... yeah, I just said, I said a second ago, you know, Klopp He was on it. Google when you said that, Darren. He was trying to find a reason to have a go at Liverpool. <laughs> he wasn't listening. I've had this all week. You know, we start talking, we'll say something and he repeats it about two minutes later because he's, he's trying to find something else to say. It's a nightmare. Um, it is the 100th Community Shield. Liverpool actually veterans of the Community Shield. Although uh, Klopp has never won it. You know that? He's never won the Community Shield. I'm sure he won't shed any tears over that. Um, but you know the funny thing about the Community Shield? You know you say he's never won it. I think for a long time people said, oh, he's never won the FA Cup. You know, he doesn't take it seriously. And the minute he thought, all right, I think I will. It reminded me a lot of <laughs> Ronnie O'Sullivan in Snooker, where, where you know, people say, oh, Ronnie O'Sullivan, is he past his best? And then he thinks, actually, I fancy winning this tournament. I think I'll turn up. <laughs> and he wins it. Yeah. Um, well, that Did very Ronnie much... Did Ronnie O'Sullivan win me. both of uh, his world titles on penalties, though? Without potting a ball. <laughs> oh, dear, you too. You are, you, you're, you're a very good double act. But listen, listen, all... My point is, as far as Klopp is concerned, if he wants to win something, he, he, he'll do it. 
And I, the Community Shield, for me, it's not a, a, an FA Cup or a League Cup. It's a training exercise with a, a big trophy at the end of it. But really, in the scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. I know we set a lot of store about it. And ever since Mourinho started claiming it as a major trophy, everyone seems to be giving it the big, you know, it's a major trophy. It, it doesn't matter a lick. I think all it does is give us a few pointers and a first look of, at some of the players that we have been so excited about for a long time, like Haaland, like Alvarez, like Nunes, like, you know, we're going to see is is how does Diaz now look now that he's had a pre-season under his belt? How does Fabio Carvalho look in a Liverpool shirt after his move from Fulham? They're the questions that we're going to get a little maybe smidgen of an answer to. But in terms of the game itself, the result really doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, it is uh, the 100th Community Shield and uh, this is Liverpool's 24th appearance uh, that is almost a quarter of all the fixtures and maybe that points to their periods of dominance over the last century. Manchester United will have a claim over that, I suppose. But certainly the last 10 years have belonged to Manchester City and that's why the two best teams in the country are contesting this um, trophy. The uh, two best teams have only ever met once before in the Community Shield three years ago. It went to penalties after a 1-1 draw and it may well go the distance. Should we just go to penalties now? No, because I've got I've got a whole hour and a half to, to 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 talk about a match, and I've done loads of research, and I want to get it out during the match. ITV four, ITV yeah. not ITV four. Nil nil, Liverpool win on penalties. Right, can okay. I ask you? Also, can I ask you? Your last season, it was a joint Golden Boot winner between Son and Salah. This year, I I, I think it's incredibly hard to call, even though everyone thinks that Haaland's going to score sixty goals. Mm, Darren, um, are you straying into next week's pod territory now? Oh, really? I've gone ahead of myself. I, mean, I think you're, you're going to I, well, I, I, I'm, I'm straying in as a way of maybe just teeing up some discussion around Haaland because right. I am fascinated to see what he will look like against a top defence. I think bearing in mind that um, he, scored, he was the top scorer in the Champions League the other year and he is the top scorer in the Bundesliga and he scored 26 goals last season, I think it was, or 22 league goals last season. I, he'll score goals, there's no doubt about but it. See, the Champions League is a cup competition and this is more, it clearly is a, about consistency um, in the toughest league in the world. What do you reckon, and Darren? I, do you think he'll score 20 goals? I think he'll score 20 goals. I'm more talking about his impact against top defences. For example, I'm fascinated to see how Liverpool will set up against uh, Van Dijk against Erling Haaland. I want to see that. Uh, exactly. Erling Haaland. Exactly. It's definitely Haaland. Stop saying Haaland. <laughs> it's going to take a bit to get used to, actually. Haaland, Haaland. And not only that, but what, what will the approach be? Will they go man for man with him, obviously Van Dijk against Haaland, or will they look to cut off the supply to him? And will they focus all on him or will they have an eye on Alvarez because he's looked really good in preseason even though he hasn't scored he's pressing game look very energetic a lot of dynamism your word crook about him as well so how will they play against him they're the things I'm going to be looking for I, I'm not interested in the result of the community show I've got to tell you but I am looking to see how Liverpool play against them how they play um against Liverpool and how they set up the first City side. How will they set up um, in, in in a game that's, what, a week away from the start of the season? Uh, well, it's live on TalkSport Saturday evening. Make sure you join us for that. We've also got the women's final of the European Championship, England against Germany. Have you got your St George's flag out, Darren? 
<laughs> I don't have a St. George's flag, but I will be watching. Oh. I'll be firmly be. My daughter um, loves, absolutely loves the, the Lionesses. And I think, you know, this run to the final, Ian Wright was absolutely right with our friends on the BBC where when he said, you know, if we don't get some legacy out of this, then we're doing something seriously wrong. And everyone will obviously instinctively say, how can we not? But I remember 2012 and the Olympics and this whole inspire a generation thing, and it didn't quite pan out. So I don't think we can have any complacency about legacy surrounding this. I think the only thing I I, I can say with certainty that that is really positive for me is that all of my industry, the newspapers, if you look at the back pages, they are treating the women's game for the first time time I can remember and I'm talking I'm including the tabloids in this in the same way that they treat the men's game the coverage the column inches the space Mm. the the, the caliber of journalists that are going to cover it and that's the big step forward in the, the the progress that the women's game has made and I think that's here to stay yeah and I'm pleased that we've been doing this on talk sport now covering a the tournaments for the last two tournaments I, I think this is my fourth one with the uh with with the uh the lionesses and I absolutely am so happy that we've bought into it and I'm proud that on Sunday we'll have a full team there that the stadium will be full, 87,200. It will be a record for a men's or women's European Championship final in terms of attendance. And I do hope that England win. I've got my Lionesses jersey. Anyone who saw the show on Tuesday saw me wearing my Lionesses jersey. I will be professional on Sunday and not wear it in the press box. Don't worry. Um, as me and John Cross were, were talking about this, uh, that is illegal. You're not allowed to do that. But you are allowed to celebrate yeah. afterwards. And I wear, will wear it afterwards uh, the next day if they win. Um, so good luck uh, to the Lionesses. Thank you very much, Darren, for joining us. Uh, I will. I'm doing TV Saturday night for Liverpool Man City, and then Sunday I'll be at the final. Crook, you're going off to Cardiff, aren't you, to uh, have another row with a load of Norwich fans? Cardiff against Norwich. Yep. Start of the EFL season. Looking forward to it. What time does the Community Shield kick off? Don't know. I can't remember. I was going to say I'll, five fifteen. So if I turn on the radio around about seven, I should get the shootout. Yeah. Or you could put it on the TV and watch it. I'll be driving back from Cardiff. I'll pull over, watch it on the ITV hub, mate. It'll be (laughs) fine. Uh, Right. (laughs) Speak to you later, Darren. Thank you very much. Good luck to the Lionesses. We'll have another pod on Monday with all the fallout from uh, the weekend. And we look forward to it here from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 